0: And we'll be going on, let's go right into the message. We've been doing a series, uh, there's no title, but we've been saying reclaiming verses that we've been using, but they tend to be out of place. And so today, there's a verse that we want to focus on, and the verse that we commonly hear is, where two or more are gathered, there I am with them. And so people use this in different ways. For example, they say, you know, I'm not going to go to church because you're with me. We're church. Jesus said where two or more are gathered, I'm with you. So he's here with us. We'll be our own church. We don't ever need to go to church. Some people, you know, think of it like that way. Uh, Some people, and as a pastor, I've used this uh, through youth ministry and even in La Mirada. You have a planned event for like 150 people, but like four people show up. And then to encourage yourself, you say, hey, what matters is where two or more are gathered, Jesus is here. Uh, That's true, and and that's encouraging, and don't stop using it for that. Jesus is definitely there, and you should be encouraged. Don't be discouraged by that. Uh, The problem is this, and this is the question I've always asked. So what if I don't have two or more? What if it's just by myself? Is Jesus not with me? Like, is Jesus only there when there's two individuals? Of course not. So here are some passages that do affirm what we're trying to say. So, for example, Zephaniah 3.17 says, The Lord your God is in your midst. That's a good verse for being encouraged that God is always with me. Joshua 1.9, some of you may have heard this. Have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous, do not be frightened Do not be dismayed, even when there's only two people showing up for your program, (laughs) for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. That's a good way to use God's word. He's with us. Don't be discouraged. First day of school, I don't know anybody. Don't be discouraged. The Lord your God is with you. Matthew 28, 19. We know this one, right? Jesus says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And behold, I am with you always. Say always. always. To the end of the age. That's, those are good passages for us to hold to, to say Jesus is always with me. So what does this deal with two or more gathered, Jesus is with me? I think there's a different context for that. And so we want to look at that in Matthew 18.20. And if you have a Bible, it's probably be- it'll be better for you to follow along that way. And Matthew 18.20 is not just a comfort for when you're discouraged. Here's a context. How a church community should respond when one member sins against another but does not repent. Matthew 1820, where two or more gathered, there I am with you, is in the context of whenever you're addressing a member of the church community that sinned against another person, but they refuse to repent, in that difficult, sticky situation, when you honor me, I am with you in that moment. Woo! Church, it's like Beverly Hills 90210. There's a lot of drama. There's a lot of, like, sensitivity. And this is very encouraging to us when we realize we're going to bump heads. Uh, by the way, parents, in the insert, there's a children's uh, fill-in-the-sheet for- form and true and false so they could follow along. My little encouragement to you is, if they finish it all and you help them tonight, go buy them ice cream. So, kids, you have a motivation. So, going back to Matthew 18, 20, If Jesus' words here are for, listen, when you sin against another, I have some instruction for you. Before we jump into that, there's assumptions and implications that Jesus is making about the church that's important for us to say, yes. Here's the first implication. Church must be a place of accountability. In other words, you don't just go to church and do whatever you want and expect no one to say, we need to talk. If you don't do that and have no accountability, you're not showing love or grace, you're incompetent and hurtful to the body of Christ. Accountability is assumed by Jesus. He's also saying there must be discipline in the church. Parents, raise your hand if you don't believe discipline is should be needed at all. No hands. <laughs> I don't think Doctor Spock would say the best thing to do is do no nothing for your kids. Don't ever scold them. Don't ever when they try to jump off a cliff, just say, "Go for it." You know. <laughs> Third, uh, there must be get ready for this. This is a whole sermon for next time. There must be judgment in the church. What? I thought we're not supposed to judge each other. Well. The judging here is assessing, discerning. Is there a wolf in sheep's clothing? Judging as in, has there been somebody who's been toxic and vile and destroying other people? We need to step in. And so let me share with you 1 Corinthians 5.12 says this about judging. Paul writes, for what have I to do with judging outsiders? So our job is not to condemn or judge people outside the church. Listen to what he says. Is it not those inside the church whom you are to judge? So our job is not to go to the world and say, you bad sinners, we're so much better than you. But our job is to look around with love, compassion, and accountability. Hey, Jason, we need to talk. This was wrong. We got to do something. So Jesus is saying when a person properly a uh, response to another who sinned against him or her i will be with you jesus promises to be part of the discipline that's different isn't it it gets way- weirder so here's a key part and if you forget anything else just remember this the aim of jesus christ is not to have a church that polices each other tattletales And legalistically says, oh, you're bad, you're bad, you're in trouble. What's his aim? You know this. Jesus' aim for the church is restoration, grace, harmony, unity, and a vibrancy of the body of Christ. And we all said, amen. And we can't have that without accountability, discipline, and judgment done in grace, truth of God, and love. So, we have to balance that. So, Jesus gives us three steps, and I just love this. Jesus, you make it so easy. Step one. Here we go. What's the first step? When someone sins against you, let me read verse 15. If your brother, adelphos is the word here, which means sister or brother, in the family, so inside, not outside, not not somebody who's a pagan or atheist sins against you. He's talking about in the church when you sin against one another. If your brother or sister sins against you, first step, go and tell him his fault. Just in case you don't know what that means, between you and him, let me clarify, Jesus says, alone. I asked my kids, teenage kids, uh, when, when uh, people hurt one another, how do people usually respond? And they responded exactly to what I... I would respond when i was a kid they get revenge <laughs> they look to get even well, how else do people respond oh they tell everybody and it's so interesting jesus's command here is go and tell him his fault between you and him alone so jesus is saying do not seek revenge don't call as many people who will agree with you and take your side Um, Except the person who hurt you, don't fester into gossip. Go to the person and say, hey, could we have coffee? Want to grab lunch? Can we talk? Um, The problem with us humans is when someone hurts us, we want to get it off our chest. We've been hurt. So you, the phone goes up. <laughs> What's the problem with this? Once you start calling this, there's two issues. One is, it spreads like wildfire. She did. What? Did you hear what so-and-so did to her? No, she didn't. Oh my goodness. And so in school, in church, we all call each other, and then just right there, within 30 minutes, the next day in school or church. The person who sin walks in has no clue, and she's got like thirty people staring at her like this. Doesn't help. That's what gossip does. Second, here's a bigger problem: the problem with that. When you try to tell everybody that you've been hurt, and you just tell everybody and everybody who will give you sympathy, what's the chance of you and that person reconciling? What's the chance of that happening after you tell? 20 people. Does it go up or does it go down? It goes down. So Jesus is so wise. He's, his aim is reconciliation. So teenagers, adults, family members, someone sins against you, calm down, gather yourself, even pray. And Jesus says, go to that person and tell him his fault. Alone. Say alone. Okay, now there's an asterisk here, okay? Depends on if it's a male-female thing, if it's a sexual thing, if it's like a sketchy thing, there are times where you don't go alone. I think Jesus is talking about more of the mundane, everyday things where we gossip, lie, hurt, you know, say something mean. Um, there is that aspect as well. You don't go alone in today's day and age, you know. There, is, there are some protocol. But the general rule here is, don't gossip, bring it to the person, and let's talk about it. So, he goes on, Matthew 18, 15, if he listens to you, you have gained your brother. Um, Can I just show of hands, my best friend in fourth grade turned out to be the guy I had a fist fight with in fourth grade. We had a fist fight about something silly, and then we became best friends after the fight. It's weird. Maybe it's a New Jersey thing. Turns out I wasn't the only one. How many of you have best friends who you had a falling out with, but you reconciled, and it made you even better friends? I'm just curious. Okay, there's, there's some. Okay. And there's something about when you have a relationship that overcomes a conflict and you heal, it does something. Uh, you know, there's a weird thing about bones. It's pastors use this like that. When you break your bone, and then the bone heals, you know what the strongest part of your bone is? It's actually where the broken parts were. Where the broken part healed is the strongest part of your bone. There's something symbolic about that. That once we can resolve and find reconciliation, you have won them over. Friendship, bond grows. And those in Christ, we get stronger. So Jesus says, try that. If that doesn't work, step two. Bring two or three witnesses. Verse 16. But if he does not listen... Take one or two others along with you that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three. Now, Jesus is borrowing from Deuteronomy 19.15 that says a single witness does not suffice for a crime. Only on evidence of two or three witnesses shall someone be charged. So I think the interpretation here is brings two or three wise, discerning people who are not ganging up But being mediators to resolve and say, what happened here? There was a sin. Let's work it out. So now it's grown to two or three so that there could be a reconciliation between them. I would apply it for my marriage with Kathy is if there was a stronghold and there was a division, go see a good Christian counselor. And it actually genuinely work for us in our life history there was somebody who can bring this out recognize these issues so that one person could repent the other person could see and there could be restoration there is wisdom here the hope is that everyone can see objectively not subjectively so when you have an issue do you bring your best friend and your mom to to discuss with the person that hurt you Thank you for laughing. No, that's not what it means. Don't bring your your entourage and say, are you going to repent now? No. What Jesus is saying here is bring two or three witnesses who can testify and see. There is a broken relationship here, and God is honored when we can heal it. And so Galatians 6.1 reminds us from Paul, Brothers, if anyone is caught in any sin, You who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself lest you be tempted. So the process of this is not, well, we need to talk. (laughs) No, the process is, well, could you talk with me and blah, blah, and blah, blah. Can four of us get together? Step three, Jesus says, if he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church, And if he refuses to listen to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. So this part gets a little bit trickier. So what he doesn't mean, folks, is this. Sunday morning, Nathan gets up, and Nathan's like, the next Sunday, we're going to have barbecue. And by the way, uh, Pastor Jason uh, sinned against uh, Billy over there, and we just wanted you to know because Matthew 18 tells us we should let the church know. That's not what it means. So that's what it's talking about is bring it before the church, the leadership. Bring it before the community in a way where it's, we've tried everything. There is an issue here. And the witnesses will come who've been part of that and says, we confirm it. Sometimes this is actually practiced even recently when you have conflicts within church, with staff, with pastors. That it's not just he said, she said, but you bring it before the leadership of the church. And so this is for extreme cases when someone is so stubborn saying, I am not going to say I was wrong. I will refuse. I know what I did. I'm not going to do it. And so in that case, we have a struggle. And what Jesus says here is, treat them as you would a Gentile and a tax collector. And we're going to get back to what that means. Um, William Barclay uh, commentator says some people wonder if the later on churches put this into Matthew because it doesn't sound like Jesus. He never says step one, step two, step three and he never would say treat them like Gentiles and tax collectors because Jesus was a friend of Gentiles and tax collectors. Why would he say this? But if you listen to the whole context it's probably Jesus. And there's a reason why he says this. So we're going to get to that and wrap it up together. Verse 18 and 20, there's this mysterious language. Truly I say to you, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth shall be loose in heaven. Again, I say to you, if two of you agree on anything that they ask, it will be done for them. And in a summary, all Jesus is saying here is, the work you're doing in church in God's name for his glory is recognized and God is actually working in that with you you're not doing a human part and God's just sitting back doing his part it is engaging up in heaven and on earth God is in the midst of this difficult process when we honor God when we seek to glorify God and so if we've been the one hurt there's a little clue there in humility and a surrender to Christ we say, God, work with us in this mess to bring healing and restoration. So in this process, Jesus himself is in the midst, and he says where two or three are gathered, I'm going to be with you. And for a pastor, man, there are a lot of times where we have conflict, and we're in the mediating or we're in the part of it, and we say, Jesus, please be here. And Jesus gives us Matthew eighteen twenty. Thank you, Lord, that you're here in this midst of this challenge. So I want to land this plane with this. So why in the world does Jesus say, who wants grace and restoration, say, treat them like Gentiles and tax collectors? So the common interpretation is, what's, what's the common interpretation in churches? If they don't listen, treat them like Gentiles and tax collectors, which means, you know what it means. You're thinking it, you're not saying it. Kick them out. Get them out of this church. I've never seen that happen in in my life as a ministry. And it's a good thing. Because you could do it by law, letter of the law, but it is not simple as, okay, Nathan, you can't come to our church anymore. Like, is that what Jesus meant? So a lot of people use this to say, oh, yeah, we don't like so-and-so. She didn't listen. She's gone. What does Jesus mean by... Gentiles, and tax collectors. So, we have to step back and look at the whole picture of Jesus. Did Jesus ever condemn Gentiles and tax collectors? Literally, in the whole Bible, he never condemns them. He never says, you wretched sinners. But he does say that to the religious leaders, which is a whole separate thing. What's funny is, if you have your Bible, the text before this passage And the text after this passage in the context is fascinating. Do you know what the text before Matthew 18, 15, 20 is? Jesus is teaching a parable when a farmer has 100 sheep, but one wanders away. What does he do? He leaves the 99 to find that one sheep. And when he finds it, he's more happy about finding that one lost sheep And bring him back home than the 99 that he already has go seek and save the lost the passage after it the matthew puts peter's conversation with jesus lord how often will my brother sin against me and i forgive him as many as seven times no jesus says seven seventy times seven times so what is This passage sandwiched in? When you treat them like Gentiles and tax collectors, I really believe what Jesus means is not excommunicate. Treat them in a way where they can be, they're lost. Bring them back in a way they could be found in Jesus Christ. Forgive them how many times? 70 times 7, as many as it'll take until reconciliation restoration is brought they don't have to be leaders of the church they don't have to be deacons and elders but they are beloved part of the body of christ because they are your adelphos treat them as you would gentiles and tax collectors who you pray for who you are proclaiming christ and by my grace they come back so this is the church Good news, if you feel tension and you feel sinned against in church, Jesus expected it. Another good news, it means your church is normal. But here's a better news. Jesus has given us a roadmap of how we can become a reconciling, healing community. And it does work in marriages. It does work in siblings. It works with friends. If someone sinned against you, pray for them. Give them a call. Talk to them. And pray that they would be won over. Now, if I get 15 phone calls this week, I'm going to be really angry. (laughs) But, maybe more embarrassed. But that's what Matthew 18 is saying. Let's talk to each other, let's cut the gossip, let's bring in the grace and the gospel of Christ. And if they say, no, 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 let's reach them as we are continuing to reach unbelievers in the same way that they would be found in Jesus Christ and his grace. Friends, right now, here's a challenge for you. Who are the people that sinned against you, that you've been brooding, and the balloon's been growing, and it's ready to pop? Maybe this is a call for you to say, in Christ, who is with you in the process, And by grace and love, yearning to please God, give them a call and seek a harmony and a reconciliation and forgiveness and perhaps a renewal of that person back to Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we could have this message because you are the one who paved the way with your blood on the cross and your resurrection. We can have words like reconciliation, forgiveness, renewal, unity, and harmony in the church because you have won us over by your death. And so, Lord, may we be people who are not just nice, who overlook sin, but with radical love, with Just aching heart that seeks harmony and just a desire to glorify you, may we follow your wisdom and see relationships restored and see brothers and sisters who have been lost found again. This can only be through you, Jesus. We are yours. And even in the gray areas, may you give us wisdom and clarity so that we could see this as fitting in the specific situations of our lives. May your wisdom and your Holy Spirit guide us through that. Lord, now we close with the prayer you taught us. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts